depends on what your goal for being a seasonal is. If your view is that you want to see as many places as possible, then that is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. But my goal, or the thing that I like about it so much, is that I have a community in the seasonal life. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. infamous bear attack video oh jesus can we not start with that (laughs) it's too late no don't cut it don't cut it (laughs) so let me let me try to recap your how you got to here so you're from west virginia you went to wvu for petroleum engineering you graduate you go to alaska you get disillusioned with petroleum you become an Alaska transferee, you hang out here for a while, and then you fully embrace seasonal life, and you go to places like Mushing Dogs in Jackson Hole, rock climbing in Arizona, kayak guiding in Ketchikan, also Zodiac boat piloting in Ketchikan, and et cetera, et cetera. That is... A good recap. It's factually inaccurate in a couple of places, but not in ways that really matter for the feel of the story. So I won't correct you. Okay. <laughs> is is that when someone asks you, you know, your history as a seasonal, is that kind of the synopsis you give or do you give a different spin on it? No, that's definitely the way that I, I give it. I think the part that I focus on most heavily is the disillusionment with petroleum geology and walking away from that in two ways. One, like a moral ethics sense that I didn't want to do that for a living. It wasn't going to make me happy. And two, and this is probably realistically more expen- more uh, more true, is that I didn't want to sit in front of a computer I didn't want the actual experience of my life to look like what a professional job was going to look like in that industry. And that's why I became a seasonal. That's a good story. It was a good prompt. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So one of the things that I realize when I talk to um, older, not not older people, but people that haven't been... um, shown seasonal lifestyle a lot they see the way seasonals act and their first instinct is is that not a lot of them have gone to college or have degrees or whatever that means to them usually sometimes negatively but there are a lot of people in the seasonal lifestyle that have degrees which you're one of them yeah and I I'm blessed to have had an experience and led a life that allowed me to make a decision um, that just because I had the opportunity from that education 
didn't mean that I had an obligation to that education. And I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. Also, to that effect, I'm so incredibly jealous of younger seasonals that I meet that are fresh from high school or doing this between years of college and just to like get to experience this lifestyle and have this awakening that a professional career with a nine to five and a retirement and all of that maybe isn't what you have to do. And to get that at 19 or 20 instead of 24 and 25 when I got it, like I'm so, so envious and like of that experience for them. Yeah. It's seeing my cousin go through that exact thing instead of going to college, she came here and now she's just killing it is <clears throat> for me. Cause I didn't start doing anything seasonal until 26. And so I think back, I'm like, man, I wasted my twenties. Right. You know? And to be doing it without the burden of student debt yeah. would be a huge advantage for a lot of people in our seasonal community. I think, especially ones from like our generation are older. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Our older portion of it. Because they have that hanging over them whenever they, at the end of a season, make money. It's like, well, I would have had so much more if I wasn't paying my student loans. Or if they aren't paying their student loans, it's that nagging thing in the back of their mind that's like, we don't feel good about. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes it's pretty hefty. For sure. Well, that was a downer. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. So this summer, you're what? What summer is this in Ketchikan? Because you you stayed a winter. I did. I a while ago. Yeah, quite a while ago. I stayed a winter before I was ever here for a summer. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you say that, but I'm very like grateful for that experience because. It let me in on a part of the local community that I've always had part of my as part of my seasonal experience here that I don't know a lot of seasonals get to experience. Um, they could. It's a really inclusive community. Um, but, you know, there is a barrier to entry in that you have to try for it. And I didn't have to try for it. I'm not especially good at trying for things. Um, they just happen to me, which is lovely. Uh, but yeah, I stayed a winter. I moved here in October and fell in love with the community theater program and the awesome school system they have here. Uh, worked as a substitute teacher, came to terms with the fact that I didn't want to be a research scientist. And then the seasonal job opportunity of being a kayak guide opened its arms to me and I just dove full in. And killed it. Killed it. I'm still slaying. I guess I say yikes because of the weather. Uh, I, I love the, the community, the local community, and I'm always jealous when I see pictures of my friends that do stay a winter while I'm somewhere else of how tight-knit it gets it does there were craft nights there was a book club it was beautiful so many dinners at your friends places really tight-knit really great experience and I think that is an initial love that I felt for this place and maybe if I was to honestly evaluate is more of the reason that I return here again and again than my seasonal summer experience 
but I also really love the seasonal summer experience. Yeah. It's it's really fun. So tell me about the kayak job that you got. Um, was that your first seasonal type job? Yeah, it was my first seasonal job. Uh, I had met Greg and Jillian, who own Southeast Sea Kayaks, out of Thomas Basin because I worked in the at the Tonga School of Arts and Scientists as a substitute teacher. So I met Jillian. She had boys there and heard about the job and just thought I could be a kayak guide. Kayaking sounds like a fun thing to do. I'd never really been in one before and I took to it. So I loved the job. It provided me the opportunity to do, go on a lot of fun adventures outside of the job and fall in love with a sport. So that was really cool. You had never been in a kayak before that job? No, never. And now, in my mind at least, kayaking is like part of your persona. It is part of my persona. I And to, what, 14 million people across the world? Yeah, quite a number of people across the world know me as that annoying kayak girl. Um, but I have a list of accomplishments outside of the bear video as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is my most like notable one as far as like public uh face value but i have circumnavigated the island of Hejo, which i love to pronounce that way if you want to have That's a conversation about that you do yeah it's because i read it on a map before i ever heard somebody in town say it yeah so that's. I don't know if I heard you say it or because Spanish is the language that I pretend to almost <laughs> know. Same. Other than English. And so when I see that, it's like, this is a Spanish word. I'm going to say it in a Spanish way. Right. I understand the argument of um, the locals and how annoyed they are with my. Very annoyed. Right. With I my pretentious Spanish pronunciation of the name of the island on which they live um the difference between Appalachia and Appalachia is real big for me somebody brought that so, up to me the, the other day actually yeah so I understand but I I can't help it and I, there's part of me that now just wants to be a contrarian Rivia hey though right so in your list of accomplishments this winter you went to Tucson Arizona yes with the intent to climb a shitload. Yes. And now you're a badass, famous climber. Well, I'm famous for something unrelated to climbing. I would like to oh. clarify <laughs> that. I like. Uh, you're famous among climbers. Yeah, yeah. And not for climbing. At the crag, many people have seen and laughed at the bear video. So I oh, guess. Nice. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I do feel like a badass rock climber. I set some goals as far as progression in a sport. I picked a destination based on that and achieved those goals, which was really great and super satisfying. So go through that situation. You, you're here last winter and you're setting goals. Go. Well, I'm here last summer. And I'm setting goals. And I had gotten into climbing a couple of years before that, like done it a few times and knew it was a thing I was really interested in doing. And my roommate for the summer happened to be somebody that was in a similar situation, had done it a few times and wanted to explore it more. 
So we landed on moving somewhere together and progressing together. And Tucson is one of very few places in the U.S. where you can climb all winter long. Um, And so we decided to do it. Um, So we set the goal and intention of getting better at that particular aspect of our lives. And we did. And it was really fun to realize that that was possible. What were some of the goals that you set? Um, I wanted to be able to climb a 510 sport route, um, which is just an arbitrary grading system that if you've climbed before, you've probably heard inklings of. And if you can get to that point, the 510 sport, then suddenly the opportunities at a given crag open up for you instead of being able to just get on like the entry level easy stuff that's more highly trafficked and smaller in area suddenly 75 percent of what is there you can probably climb on Um, it might not be pretty in my case it is often a very ugly fall on every bolt to the top of the line but I love that it's part of the fun except in those moments I don't think it's part of the fun (laughs) Um, and then I also wanted to learn to trad climb which is traditional climb and it's where it's just a lot more personal responsibility as far as your safety um, and problem solving, less physically intensive and more mentally taxing. What, what's the difference between the two sport and trad climbing? So sport climbing is fixed gear in a wall. Um, you there, somebody's been there, they pre-drilled a hole and put gear on it that you clip your rope to at intervals that they determined. Um, It's pretty quickly assessed. Your line is made for you. Like that is where you are going to be climbing um, within an arm's reach of those bolts. Um, And it's a lot, can be a lot more physically intensive. It's designed that the difficulty of the route is in the difficulty of the physicality of getting from one bolt to the next. Whereas traditional climbing, you are setting your own protection. So you're route finding. There is no gear set into the wall. Nobody's, people have been there before you. Those are those semicircle gear-like equipment things. Yeah, right? so there are, I use cams and nuts. So cams have a trigger you to press, stick into a constriction, and then they'll expand um, and catch you on fall. And nuts are more passive. You still just put them in a constriction, an opening in the wall, and hope that if you fall, you're going to weight them in a way that will stop them from coming out of the wall. Um, But making a decision about whether or not that is even possible or where it would be best suited and what size gear to use is a really fun puzzle that takes a lot of time um, and can limit the physicality of what you're doing, um, but adds a whole new dimension to the mental game. So you completed your goal, the 510. Boom, yeah. A couple of them. Sometimes There are still some that I, I can't get all the way up, but there are some that I can't, so that's nice. Yeah. Well, how tall are you? Uh, I'm five foot tall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what it says on my driver's license. I'm 4'11". <laughs> I'm 4'11". And that's that gives you a whole nother set of problems. I don't like to blame that. Um, 
I will. I'm six three. <laughs> well, <laughs> You're better at climbing than me, but it's so much like if we attempted a wall, it's, I'm going to reach so much more of it. Right. It's, it's not fair. Yeah, it is an interesting uh, disadvantage, and it's something that I think about um, sometimes, but it's not an excuse. I, uh, I'm i just going to go on a rant about chalk right now. So you see climbers with this I'm white stuff on their hands, <laughs> and uh, people do it habitually just every Every couple of moves on the wall, they're sticking their hands into their chalk bag. And I didn't even know chalk existed because I just, like, was so green. Didn't even know chalk existed or really what its purpose was until I had been climbing, like, on the regular for, like, months, really. And people will get on something and not want to make a move or not do something or and they'll put their hands in their chalk bag instead of looking at the next move and committing to it they put their hands in their chalk bag and then maybe they go for it or maybe they don't or maybe they come down and they like their shoe was tied wrong or something and I just I don't want to be short in that capacity I don't want to have it be an excuse for why I couldn't climb something I want to get down and I want to look at my partner and say I was scared to do that it was terrifying. Can you please go finish that route for me? Can you can you let me top rope it so I can learn the move and make myself better? Because for me, this sport is like about an honesty with myself and not necessarily an achievement. Yeah, it's a personal battle. Totally. You and the wall. Yeah, I am the wall. When I was climbing, I'd put chalk on right when I started and then not again. And But my thinking is... There's a goat on top of that wall, and the tribe doesn't eat unless I get to the top and I kill that goat. <laughs> That's a great. And so great every way to move, I'm trying to think of each face in the tribe. Like I have to make this move, and that they didn't have chalk then. Maybe they did. I don't know. But I yeah. So chalk at the beginning, and then I got to go get that goat. That's a beautiful thing to think about. I'm gonna try try that visualization. Yeah. Like you, there's a tough grab next. Just imagine the elderly woman that you talk to in the mornings and sometimes brings tea to your tent. That's You got to make that next move for her you, or she doesn't get to eat the delicious goat. You got to kill that goat. You <laughs> got to kill that. <laughs> so you went to Tucson, you slayed it. Uh, you came back here. Yes. <clears throat> what goes into the decision as a seasonal to return somewhere? Because some people are against it. I understand that. Um, if you're, it depends on what your goal for being a seasonal is. If your view is that you want to see as many places as possible, then that is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. But my goal, or the thing that I like about it so much, is that I have a community in the seasonal life. So... Returning to a place to reaffirm my connections with this network of people is part of the fun for me. Um, yeah. Did that answer your question? I forget the prompt. Yeah. yeah. You came back because of the people. Yeah, I came back because of the people. I love it here. Yeah. Now, did you come into this summer with any goals like you had last winter? Uh, 
not like I had last winter in that I don't have a lot of um, sporting goals. I want to kayak more. You know, I want to keep up with climbing um, in ways that I am pretty specific about. But my the most present goals that I have for my season in Ketchikan are social and um, like more in the bend of like self-improvement and self-awareness than actual tangible achievements in what I might be doing. Um, and that's part of why I came back to catch a can too. Like Tucson was great and I loved rock climbing and I set those goals, but I didn't realize how important it was to me to set goals in the social realm of my life to have, uh, large consistent friend base that I could share achievements with and I have that here so I was definitely coming back to that to talk about your badass rock climbing with yeah to talk about my badass rock climbing with um and your awesome pictures I saw a lot of them on Instagram oh thank you yeah I think we put one in the magazine oh really yeah Oh, great. Hashtag Mary, Mary Mix. You figure out how that's done, guys. (laughs) (laughs) So if you didn't have plans this winter, this coming winter, and you were looking at going somewhere to do something seasonal again, because a lot of people are going to come up to that, and maybe for some of them it's the first time. Mm -hmm. How do you, because you're... A seasoned grizzled veteran of the seasonal world how how do you approach it I would say you have to figure out what is important to you um and be really honest in your assessment of that like look at what makes you happy take a week of your life this summer and write down the things that you did and how much you enjoyed each of them rank that week You know, you went to free food on Monday and Friday. You went rock climbing with your roommate on Thursday. You went fishing. You know, you had a beach bonfire. And then look at what went into each of those activities. What made you happiest about it? Was it the one-on-one connection with your that you had with your rock climbing partner? Was it the group dynamic at the bonfire? Was it getting shit-faced at the bar? Was it the fact that you caught a big fish? Like, really look at the not only those activities, but the pieces of those activities that made you happiest. And then try and find that in your next move. What was your best day in the last seven days? My best day in the last seven days was my first hike this season up perseverance which is my personal favorite hiking trail um decided to go sent feelers out uh, immediately got responses back um and we who what who went with me one i just completely forget one of the people that were there Hold on. Don't worry. They won't be listening. Okay, great. Awesome. That makes me feel. (laughs) So uh, we climbed to the top of 
perseverance, me and my, okay, no, I've got all, I've got all of them now. Okay. So, uh, so we can start name dropping. So I can start name dropping. So I went with, uh, the Tims and Natasha and it was great. Uh, we got to the top of perseverance we laid on the platform, and Tim divulged a lot of his personal history uh, in ways that everybody should ask Tim Kisner about at later <laughs> points. That kid is a rebel for sure. Um, Tim's going to be one of the first episodes on this that gets released. Oh, uh, great. Uh, tune in, guys. We're going to get some deep. T- what? Okay, so what are some things I should ask Tim? Um, you should <laughs> ask him about arson. Okay. <laughs> I will ask Tim Kistner about arson. <laughs> yeah. Um, he just is, I love him. There's no other way to describe it. And that is so true of so many of my friends here. I just love them. Um, and I can't wait to love more people this summer. It's just an ever-growing network of Mary loves you. <laughs> <laughs> so... In back to your matrix of how much you enjoy each aspect of every day, when you come to that day, how do you think about it? I loved the hike, of course. I think it's a beautiful trail. The place we were sitting and looking at the world was great. But I was reconnecting with Tim Kisner, who's somebody I've been close with for a lot of seasons. I was getting to know Temi Hemi in ways that, like transitioning from acquaintance to friend, that you're making those connections and experiences with. And I was really meeting Natasha for the first time. Um, And that's the way I think about it, in that interpersonal relationship development what is your life story? How does it relate to my life story? What do you think about this? And what were your experiences when you were in high school? And it's those conversations. Um, And that's what I love. And maybe it's what you love too. So if you're looking to do something next season, you know, take that into consideration. Don't just want to become a badass river rafter, want to f- go a place and connect with a community of river rats. So you're looking for more of those interpersonal connections because you knew from that hike that that was something you valued. Yeah. I would have done it by myself, But would I be sitting on this couch telling you it's the coolest thing I've done in the last seven days? No way. Right. And so in your next adventure, if you were planning it out, that's what you're thinking about. Because when you looked back on it, you quantified it, you measured it, and then... Yeah. Yeah. Quantifying interpersonal relationship for me, it was like not a thing I had ever thought about. And it really holds a lot of value in my life in a way that I'm just appreciating now. So, but you do have winter plans. 
I do have winter plans, sort of. There's a, Tell us about where they're at now. Um, well, they're all based on how much money I make this summer because that's realistically the way in which I lead my life. Um, but they definitely involve a very long stay in Colombia to learn Spanish and come back to this island to put the word Roviajalo in a sentence where it doesn't sound so foreign. Um, and I also want to rock climb. Uh, but mostly, I want to go love people in a new place, in a new warm place. Also, I am done with cold weather. Yeah, I'm there with you. And Colombia is, the people there are wonderful. The weather's warm. The people are warm. It's awesome. I think that's a good decision. Oh, good. I'm glad I have your support. Because <laughs> you, you need it. Because <laughs> I need it. I need it. So you brought up the financial side. You... Uh, are getting name dropped soon in an article on our website. Oh, really? For being uh, so good at the financial side, at least being frugal and all that stuff is what gets discussed. Tell us, tell us about your approach to the very important financial side of seasonal life. Um, so, I am really. Oh, I'm embarrassed to say this. I'm really proud of the way I handle my finances. So I guess I'm happy to share this. You should be. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's not very humble to <laughs> do something like that. And I like to feign a sense of humility because it makes me seem cool. Uh, <laughs> 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 fuck. <laughs> Add it to the list of things. Right. Um, so, yeah, I uh, don't spend money. I don't buy new things. Um, sometimes I do. I mean, I say I don't buy new things. I bought nearly $2,000 worth of rock climbing gear this winter. But as David Dittinger says, you bought happiness. I bought happiness. I did not buy. Yeah. In buying rock climbing gear, it wasn't about the gear. It was about what I could do with the gear. Um, I don't really shop for clothes outside of the thrift store. I eat ridiculous things and not very often, um, which I'm not necessarily a proponent of, but it's one of the ways that I really limit my finance. One of my rules this season is I walk out of the house with the money I want to spend, um, which for me is just tip money, not spending my paychecks. So I walk into the asylum with ten fifty in my pocket. And that, unless somebody wants to be generous and buy me a drink, the, that is the amount of drinks that I'm having that night. Which I was going to say, the last few times I've seen you walk into the asylum, I would have never guessed that all your clothes are from the st thrift store. Because you're looking great. <laughs> Thank you. And so you're definitely going to get somebody to buy you a drink. <laughs> so that ten fifty goes from three beers to... I don't remember what I drank last night, but I had 50. a great time. I would tip you way better than that. That's, that's two <laughs> beers, Joey. Come on. I'm frugal. I'm not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a great distinction. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, okay, on the longer term, like, that's what I'm specifically doing to enact, like, personal finance this year. I also make spreadsheets if you want a link to one, you know, send me a Facebook private message and I will send you my personal month-to-month -month finance spreadsheet. This is the thing that I learned from Peter Costacos, who was my roommate last year. Um, 
But it's just my in and out expenses and minimal bills and what do I expect to get from a paycheck. And I have a running tally of that through the summer with my expectations. I adjust it as the summer goes on. And then I have another spreadsheet that are my winter expenses. And there's a total there. And I have to keep the number of my running summer bank account or expected income above the number that I need to do my winter plans. And I like having a real tangible thing to look at and make those decisions. You know, I revisit that two or three times a month is really important for me and keeps me on track in a way that I think if I was just like being like, oh yeah, maybe Columbia this winter, I wouldn't do. Yeah, there's not... <clears throat> it's it's hard to wing stuff, especially in, with international travel. Right. It can be cheap, but it takes planning to make it cheap. It takes planning to make it cheap. Yeah, I have. I am already booking my flights. Like. Right. So let me ask you this: How? What is that dollar amount? Do you have it ready for the next or this winter? Yeah. Um. So it depends. I'm also being very flexible. I, if I want to go to Thailand and then Colombia, I have to sell my truck in town. If you would be interested in a 2002 Dodge Dakota two-wheel drive with 116,000 miles, give me a ring. Send her a private <laughs> message. Send me a private message. <laughs> so if I sell It'll that, be in the show notes. Yeah. If I send that, if I sell that truck, then I want to go to Thailand and Colombia and my dollar amount is 10,000. And that is with a $1,000 bubble on top of it for coming back to Ketchikan and knowing that I'm going to have to put a down payment on a place and have a little bit of money before my first paycheck. So realistically looking at spending 9000 and that accounts for things like plane tickets. Uh, where do I plan to stay? Am I going to rent cars? Uh, where am I going to eat? How much do I expect that to be? And there are weak breakdowns and that's not a fun thing to do for some people I happen to really enjoy those things and I understand why it wouldn't be fun for somebody and why people wouldn't want to do it and you could probably be a lot more ballpark than I choose to be in it but really looking at those ideas of finance are super important if I don't sell my truck then I'm going to road trip for the first half of the winter which is going to be a lot cheaper then going to Thailand, and then I'm just going to go to Colombia, and suddenly the amount of money that I need to do that is cut in half. I can do it with five grand. So it's not a lot of money that you need, but you have to have it. Yeah, it is. There is an amount you have to have. There is an amount you have to have, and it is larger than zero. Yeah, right. So for someone that hasn't done any international travel, if it was their first trip, where would you, because there's a lot of seasonals this year that actually haven't done international travel, but they hear from you and other people about how much fun it is and how great it is and how crazy weird it is. What What's the place that you would tell them to try to go to first? Um, I would say Thailand, uh, but there's a little bit of a bias in that because it's the first place I went. Me too. Yeah, and it was just really easy. Um it's super cheap. Uh, it's kind of expensive to get there, but it's super cheap. There are going to be a lot of other travelers looking to do what you want to do. 
Like, of course, there's the whole full moon, full moon community there, which I had no interest in being a part of. Which is the drug craze yeah, party. Yeah, Cosan Road, want to go to, like, weird sex shows. And, like, if that's your bag, then I can't say I support it. I've got a lot of social justice issues with that, but that's a different episode entirely. Yeah, I, I missed a lot of the Thai staples. Yeah, because... I think kind of on purpose. Yeah, of course I, But I also did. didn't... I didn't get a massage. I didn't go to the full moon parties. I didn't do any of the sex show stuff. Yeah, neither did I. And that's good. That's good. I don't think that you and should. And I loved it. And I want to go back, and I think everybody should go without all that. Yeah, so... so that shows, I think, to the fullness of the trip. Totally. Um, I worked there... Uh, I taught English, which is a good way to get abroad. But if I had to do it over again, and I am trying to do it over again, I would have enough money that that is not what I do. Um, you taught Big Boss while you were there. Big Boss? <laughs> is that his oh, name? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I taught Big Boss while I was there. Um, this is adorable. Adorable. Thai boy. I always tell that story. because So they, they're given English names, right? They're given English names, but the English names are usually, or sometimes, English words. Um, Big Boss. And his was Big Boss. Big Boss. And he was great and in the same class as Pancake. Oh, my God. (laughs) It was just the most adorable thing. Um, So, yeah, Thailand's great. It's easy to move around. There are a lot of English speakers in the country. It's easy to get away from the... If you want the huge party mentality and the traditional hedonistic experience, you're going to get it, and it's still a great place to travel. But if you don't, it's also a great place to travel. I went to meditation retreats and scuba dive and... Oh, like swam to islands off the coast of islands. Like, it was... It was great, Um, and the people were just lovely, and I was lucky enough to live in a rural area through when I taught, and that, I would say, is part of the experience people should get, is going to a more rural area. One, because you are a rock star there. It's just a really fun, weird experience (laughs) to be (laughs) such a curiosity to a group of people. There's probably still videos of you and I dancing that have millions of hits on Thai YouTube. Oh, 100%. There's so many people videotaping us every time we danced in the streets, which was often. Often, often we danced in the streets. Um, yeah, so it's, it's great. Like, just pick a festival. Thais love to party. They've got great costume holidays. Find one. What would be the festival? You Is it Songkran? Uh, Songkran is really cool, um, but Songkran is not just the water party. There's a whole costume week um, leading up to Songkran with like these big puffy butt pants and weird military shirts. And like, I'm not even going to pretend that I know the intricacies of exactly what all of that is about. <laughs> But if you Google images and dates, you will find what to wear and when to wear it. And just, like, get on the train and 
it'll it's so much fun it's so much fun also the thai trains oh this is just a conversation about how much i love thailand right now so yeah i when i was in europe with hamish this winter he fell asleep on an old man in the train (laughs) and it reminded me of there was one time that we were on a train together and i was conversing with a thai man about the door that kept sliding open and no one could slide it closed. So I had to slide it closed every time. And it's like, we had a whole conversation with just gestures and whatever. And so when Hamish fell asleep on this old European man, he, he looked up, Hamish is on his shoulder asleep. He looks up at Chloe across the way and he just looks like, what do I do? (laughs) I don't know if I want to wake him up. There's so much information in that look of he's a human and what, what would I be thinking? And he was thinking kind of the same thing. Like he can keep sleeping there, but I don't know if he's okay with knowing that he's sleeping on my shoulder. So many ways you can communicate. I multiple times, like it was not just once, uh, a number of times on the Thai train and do not buy the first class Thai train ticket. You can, it's cheap, like real cheap, but it's cheaper to do third class where you might only get standing room and be packed in with people. I bought the second class sometimes when I knew I wanted to sleep. Right, right. I. But third class, so much fun. Third class, so much fun. Babies were put on my lap, multiple babies. Moms would get in and she would refuse to take my seat because I'm a white blonde girl. Just mom would not take the seat from me. But if I put my arms up in the give me your baby gesture, she would hand me her child and I could sit on a train with this adorable Thai kid trying to rip my glasses off my face and pull my hair out. It was wonderful right to get at the blonde hair and the blue eyes. yes <laughs> yes i loved it so go yeah, there I, I am definitely going back soon i miss it but it's time for you to go you said. yeah it's a beautiful day out outside <laughs> i can't believe i'm sitting in here doing this right now she gave me until one it's 102 uh, so. i'm done but yeah thank you for your time and i'm sure everyone will see you around town hopefully social little butterfly that she is flutter 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 have a good day i love you i <laughs> love you too <laughs> yeah that's it that's the episode the seasonals are kelly mogg ryan deininger me joey ravinsky the theme song by ryan deininger joe williams lewis leva chappy thomas hamilton follow us on instagram at the seasonals underscore like us on facebook listen to our next episode that's it we're out yeah